Well, we've got two more Lord's Day evenings in Ecclesiastes, so I've chosen to jump ahead again to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We'll do one last message from chapter 12 next week, but let's turn to chapter 11. And I'm going to read the whole chapter, but the text will focus on the first six verses. So this is God's word. I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Once again, may God give us wisdom to discern the puzzle that this passage and others like it are to us, that we might have a real insight into the things of the Lord. Shall we pray for that wisdom? We know, Lord, that you have great wisdom, all wisdom, perfect wisdom, and understanding, and we, like Job, often think we know more than we do. Teach us to be put in our place in a proper way that we might honor you for all of your wisdom in our Savior, we pray. Amen. Nobody really likes a know-it-all. You know what a know-it-all is? A know-it-all is somebody who always raises their hand in class and says, ooh, 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 call on me, 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 me. And, of course, the teachers among you who've seen people in classrooms like that just say, you know, Hermione, be quiet. Let somebody else answer the question this time. Or the guy at the party, you're talking about adults, and he's always in the corner giving his opinion about everything on the face of the earth. And, of course, he's right, maybe, (laughs) at least in his own eyes. Maybe he's well-educated. Maybe he does know a fair amount But compared to God and really compared to what he ought to think of himself, he doesn't really know much. And why don't we like know-it-alls? Well, because God doesn't either. And all of us can be exactly like that in various ways and the things that we think we know a lot about. God does not like this either. And the fact is we don't know much. This is a text that I got, the theme from the text. I always try to do that. But I try to look for repeated phrases. You'll notice that you don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know is repeated several times in our text. Now, I was trained in chemistry and physics, and so I like to think of the so-called hard sciences as places where people who know a lot, and a lot of you may know a lot about all kinds of stuff, but the more I talk to you, a lot of technical people around here, so just get ready, I'm about to insult you all. If I miss you, 
I for, forgive me, but I will try to hit all of us, and I will try to hit myself too, just to be fair, okay? We don't know much. All right, let's take physics. That was my minor at college. What is dark matter? How will the world end with a bang or a whimper? What about the beginning of the universe or the end? One of the great mysteries of physics is the nature of light. It's all around us. Well, is it a wave or a particle or both or neither? I'm sure you have your own opinions if you studied science. Sometimes it acts like one, like a photon, like a particle, or sometimes like a wave. It can be refracted and diffracted and so forth. Well, what about string theory? You ever heard about that? It summarizes all basic particles as vibrations. But the problem is you can't detect them or experiment on them. They're just out there somewhere. What good are they? You don't know much. What causes gravity? I love that one because, look, gravity. Did you know that every piece of matter attracts every other piece of matter just a little tiny bit? You don't notice it, you know, on small things. But think about it. The Earth is 93 million miles from the sun, and it goes around the sun like it's on a string. How does that happen? Gravity. You have to have a huge mass like the sun and a decent mass like the earth and all the rest of the planets to make that work, but the planets are spinning around the sun like they're tied to it. You explain that to me. I don't really understand it. How about you? What can bring order in the midst of chaos? Well, there's, you've probably heard of chaos theory, where everything doesn't make any sense and things kind of scatter, and we just don't understand how things can get more and more disorderly and how did order happen to come about, despite the second law of thermodynamics and so forth. Well, you physicists don't know much. Get used to it. All right, here's biology. I like to pick on them. I never liked biology but I'll tell you about it anyway. How did life begin? You biologists think you know? You little tiny particles floating around the ocean. Yeah, whatever. How did life begin? Well, now we have our brains developed out of a long period of evolution, supposedly. How does that work? And are you therefore anything more than brain waves? Really? What makes you think you have a soul or a real mind? Maybe you're just a kind of a fancy computer that thinks about stuff. Is there life out there somewhere other than us? I don't know. I mean, Star Trek would like to imagine other carbon-based life forms, as they used to call it, or some life forms that maybe are based upon silicon instead of carbon. Well, that would be weird, kind of a living rock, perhaps. But we really don't know. You biologists, wherever you are, don't know much either. All right, chemistry. That's my field originally. How many elements are possible? Do you know people are still making new elements in some massive collider somewhere, and they exist for just a nanosecond, and they're gone? You can't do much with them. But now we find out that there are other elements. Well, how many of those will we ever find? How do molecules form exactly? Here's my favorite one. Have you ever heard of an enantiomer? Some of you may have heard of it if you're in chemistry. An enantiomer is a mirror image molecule of the other half of the molecule. Uh, the carbon has four parts to it, and around the carbon can be arrayed four different groups. And if you go from lighter to heavier, you can count either a right-handed molecule or a left-handed molecule, which is weird to begin with. But in certain parts of life, you only find a right-handed molecule or a left-handed molecule, not both. How did that ever happen? A right and left glove form of a molecule 
What in the world is going on here? You chemists don't know much either. Now, we may not even understand the questions, much less the answers, and I could, of course, pick on many other fields. I feel like I should say something about astronomy, but I won't do that right now. You don't know much either, just so you know. You know about that. How do you find out how much you know? I found out this morning that some of you have trouble taking tests. You ever take a test and then you just you're, you freeze up and you can't remember what you studied all this time. You don't take tests very well, perhaps. Well, I'm going to give you a bunch of tests anyway because that's going to prove how much you know. And these are sort of famous, uh, funny-type tests. All right. You are a biology major. You go to the final exam in the exam room, and the final exam in biology says, create life, and then mutate a new life form. Okay, so maybe some of you are engineers. The disassembled part of a high-powered rifle have been placed on your desk. You will find an instruction manual printed in Swahili. In 10 minutes, a hungry Bengal tiger will be released into the room. Take whatever action you feel necessary. Be prepared to justify your decision. And as they sometimes say at the end of these questions, good luck. How about medicine? I never could stand medicine either. I always faint at the sight of blood. But anyway, if you happen to go into medicine, seriously, you've been provided with a razor blade. I would never pass. I would never even begin this test. You provided with a razor blade, a piece of gauze, and a bottle of scotch. Remove your appendix. Do not suture until your work has been inspected, and you have 15 minutes. Here's one that you have to think about it for a minute. This is called metaphysics. Describe in detail the probable nature of life after death. Test your hypothesis. Get it? Music. Some of, oh, I know some of you are music. All right, that's good. Write a piano concerto. This is a final exam. Go ahead and write one. Orchestrate and perform it with flute and drum. You will find a piano under your seat. Religion. Perform a miracle. Creativity will be judged. And my final favorite one, extra credit. Describe the universe and give two examples. Now, this, of course, is silly. But it's not that silly because there are a lot of things we cannot do. Who could pass these tests? There's only one person in the universe who could pass these tests with flying colors, and that's God himself, who created all things, who knows all things, from the beginning to the end. You don't know much. But, so what? Seriously, so what if you don't know as much as you think that you do? We live in ignorance of many things, but we know what God does is right, We know that God knows the beginning from the end and brings things into being that were not. Do what God says and leave the rest to him. And that seems to be the message of this passage. In fact, let us get humbled, if you aren't already, what you don't know. Now, the first thing about not knowing things is admitting you don't know something. Have you ever talked to somebody who never admits they don't know it? Oh, I knew about that. Maybe they didn't. Oh, yeah, I I learned that a long time ago. You ever meet somebody like that drives you crazy. But reality is you have to admit how little you know because you're a human being and you're not God, and it's all beyond you. And in the scripture, there is a sign of humility that often occurs. Jeremiah said, look, I can't talk much. Moses said the same thing. He said to God, look, I've never been able to speak very well, and I love God's answer. Moses, who made your mouth? Which is a put down right there. 
But then he says, I'm going to give you Aaron anyway. Isn't that amazing? He's accommodating Moses' weakness, which he knows he has, though in some sense he knows a little more than he thought, perhaps. Well, what are some things that you don't know about? This passage talks about it in several places. Number one, we don't know about provisions. That means God providing for our needs, all right? Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to six or to seven or to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In other words, well, the first example is probably based on the idea that when you traveled through a desert, you would leave maybe even bread or some kind of provision at the place where there was a spring or an oasis. So you had water, and the weary traveler would stop there, but what would he have to eat? Maybe the stuff he brought with him wasn't very good or wasn't very much. Well, if you would place a cache, that's C-A-C-H-E, a bit of stuff at the spring, the next person could come and eat what you left, and then you leave something for somebody else. And so it'll all come back to you eventually. That's one possibility. It's a bit of a mystery. But the idea is just give to somebody who is in need, and God will provide your need eventually. The same thing is true in verse 2. Give, to, give generously, not just to one person, maybe seven or eight. Help people, be generous with people, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. And in the morning, sow your seed. Now, sowing seed, by the way, sowing, that's S-O-W for you children. It means to put seed into the ground, all right? So now when you think about it, you could take the seed you have in your seed bag and make bread out of it. Let's say it was, you know, wheat. And you could grind it up and make some bread. Maybe some of you had done that. But, you know, you might run out of seed eventually. Where are you going to get more seed? Turns out you have to throw the seed you have into the ground. And that's hard because you could eat now or eat later. And when you eat later, you'll have more, actually, because the seed, when it goes into the ground, multiplies, and you get more back, but you have to wait. And Now, that is very interesting. In the morning, sow your seed. You do not know what will prosper, this or that. Don't worry about it. Just do it, and trust God seems to be the point. Now, this whole section seems to be about possessions and eating and drinking and money and so forth. We do not know about tomorrow. We should recognize that God gives us everything that we need. We talk about, give us this day our daily bread, don't we, in the Lord's Prayer. That's a very good thing to pray, isn't it? Psalm 112 says, He, meaning God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So God is the one who gives us things, even though we work. He's given us the ability to work, the jobs, the freedoms, the seed, the money, whatever it is to buy something that we need. God gives us these things, and we're not really giving them to ourselves anyway. So don't hold too tightly to the things that you have. Be free in giving. Be free in trusting God. Be free in using it for yourself, of course. But don't worry for how will worry help exactly. What about rain and also wind? Verses 3 and 4. If the clouds are full of rain and they empty themselves in the earth, a tree falls to the south or the north, and the place where the tree falls there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds 
will not reap. Now, I wonder if this is where you get the idea that if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, will it make a noise? Well, it depends on whether you interpret it as sound waves or hearing those sound waves. But the point is, things happen that we never hear about. All kinds of things happen that we are not aware of. The clouds are full of rain. And do you know when it's going to rain exactly? I mean, the weather people try. I mean, they do a pretty good job. But it's kind of funny. Oftentimes, they're wrong. You know, when it's supposed to be, like, I think today is great because, like, 8% chance of rain, little chance, or 10%, or 50%. And how do you really know? I think the weathermen are using some tools, but they don't absolutely know. Have you noticed? So even scientists such as meteorologists don't know everything Things that fall in the forest we don't know about. And how about the wind? Well, that's, of course, very famous. The wind blows where it wants to blow, as Jesus says in John 3. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Can you see the wind exactly? You see the leaves rustling on the trees, but you're not really seeing the wind. You're seeing the results of what the wind does. And Jesus says, therefore, it is very similar to everyone who is born of the Spirit. And the word spirit and wind are the same in, the, in these languages that we're talking about here in the Bible. Spirit and wind. Ruach is the Old Testament Hebrew and, and Pneuma is the New Testament. And both of them need spirit or wind, one or the other, or both. And so Jesus takes advantage of that and says, the Holy Spirit comes where he wants to go. And he will change your heart if he wants to and when he wants to. So it's all about weather and sowing and reaping and telling us again, as verse 6 says in summary, in the morning sow your seed. You do not know which will prosper. So just do what you're supposed to do and don't worry about tomorrow. Very similar to what Jesus says in the New Testament. You don't know much. Leave it to God. Is that okay with you? Or are you consumed with worry? about where your next meal is coming from, where your clothes are coming from. Even though God clothes the flowers of the field, Jesus says this kind of wisdom too. Well, here's another one. I like this one. About a woman with child. You do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Well, we do now have ultrasound. And if you're mother or yourself, whatever, have ever been pregnant, and you go to the doctor, you get a little sonogram picture of the unborn child. It's really cool. Little tiny, you know, kidney bean looking thing. Well, guess what? That was you. Not all that long ago, depending on what you are. And so the psalmist kind of knows that already. He says in Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Job 10, you clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. How did you get here? I know it's hard to remember. (laughs) When you first were born, of course, you probably don't remember anything about that. But you know that a man and woman meet, fall in love, marry, conceive, give birth. Some of you have children now. Actually, a lot of you have children, I noticed about here. 
Some of your children who used to be smaller than a kidney bean are now taller than you. How did that happen? How did that happen? I mean, it's amazing to see what God does, and he knits together our bones and our sinews and causes us to be born, and then we recognize we don't know much about that either. Rejoice, O young man, he says in verse 9. In your youth, let your heart cheer you. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Just live your life, he's saying, the way you can and the way God has enabled you to do that. And make decisions. Do things. Don't, have you ever heard of the phrase paralysis by analysis? You know what that means? That means you're so afraid to make the wrong decision that you never make a decision. Well, unfortunately, not to decide is also to decide. Let's take that matter of finding your spouse. At some point, you fellas met your wife-to-be and vice versa. And you didn't know whether you were going to get married, whether you even liked the guy or the girl, okay? So what did you decide to do? Did you ever decide, guys, to ask the girl out? Well, you had to do something, something to get her attention. My wife was a Russian major. I spoke to her in Russian, the little few little words I knew, and it got her attention. Okay, that's all I needed. And some of you did something like that to get the attention of your spouse-to-be. But what if you were too afraid to do that? What if you were afraid the girl would just turn her back on you and say, forget you? What if you never tried to get to know somebody? Is it likely you're going to get married? Not very likely unless somebody arranges it for you, I suppose, not in our culture. Or if you want to get a raise, you might be waiting and waiting and waiting to get a raise, but you never get one, but then again, you never talk to the boss about it. I have a good friend who really had not gotten many raises at all, and finally she decided to go and talk to the boss and say, you know, I have another job over here I could go to. A raise just like that. I mean, it was a big one, too. She decided to go and ask. (laughs) Not to decide is to decide. She still wouldn't get any more money than she's getting now or getting before if she didn't actually do something. All right, let's say you have problems in your marriage. Has that ever happened to you? I don't know. Probably not. I think so. You have all, everybody has a problem with the person in, the, in their marriage because you're a sinner and he or she's a sinner. And two sinners together don't always get along, just so you know. Are you going to ignore those issues? Pretend they're going to go away by themselves? Or are you going to go talk to your wife or your husband and have a painful discussion? something that's been bothering you, or asking somebody, the other person, if something's bothering them. That's a little bit dangerous, because what if part of it is you, and I guarantee you part of it is, if not most of it. You've got to recognize that there are faults in marriage, and you have to go and deal with them. And you say, oh, I'm afraid too. What if, what if, what if, what if? And then you just never get around to it. I've talked to people, been married for 30 years, never have solved a problem in their lives, I wonder sometimes how they ever managed to live together for so long, and some of them don't live very much longer than that. We are called to do the right thing, whatever it is. That's what he means by, hey, live your life. You don't know much, but go ahead and do the things you're supposed to do. Exactly. Don't trust yourself. Trust God. There's lots of things that we don't know about. If you look at the scripture, even chapter 9, back a little ways, verse 12 says, man does not know his time. 
When we die, it suddenly falls upon us. We don't know exactly when it's going to be. Proverbs 27 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring. You think you're going to go to church, and suddenly somebody gets sick, and you have an accident or something, you never get to church. Maybe. It might have happened to you. It's happened to me. Matthew 24. Stay awake. You do not know on what day the Lord is coming. That's so important. You don't know when Christ is returning, but always be ready. Have your lamps lit, for the bridegroom may come at any time. Stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So do the right thing. Don't sell all your possessions and sit on top of a mountain because some so-called prophet told you he was coming back in 1865 or something. It's happened. Those people were disappointed. They didn't know what in the world was wrong. Concerning the day or the hour of Christ's return, no one knows. Not even the angels. The angels don't know when Christ is going to return. You probably knew that. But get this one. Nor the Son, but only the Father. Now wait a minute. Isn't Jesus God? He does know everything, doesn't he? Well, he is God. So I'm going to have you a puzzle. I don't understand it. So what's new about that either? He does know as God, but as man, he doesn't know. Sorry about the confusion. I can't explain that, but that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that even the Son of Man does not know the day or the hour because Jesus is truly human as well as truly divine, and to be human is to not know certain things because you're not God. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, James 14 says very famously. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So always say, if the Lord wills. Are you familiar with that idea? There's actually a lot. Oh, some people were studying Latin. I remember this now. We talked about it in an inquirer's class. Deo volente. You know what that means in Latin? It means God willing. And you abbreviate it with a D-V. Deo volente or Deo volente. God willing. And in the old days, when you wrote a letter and said to somebody, I'm going to come see you next week, D-V, it means God willing in Latin. <laughs> so use that next time you want to brush up on your Latin, but brush up mainly on understanding what you don't know. You don't know if you're going to make it next week or not. You're going to try. And we're going to, we're going to say to ourselves, if the Lord wills. I love the, my, the, my final verse of reference is Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says, the secret things belong to God. There are many, many secrets. God will let us know a lot of things in heaven, but there are certain things that he cannot explain to us and will not explain to us forever and ever, things that are beyond our human understanding and comprehension. There are things that God will reveal, but some things are just belonging to God. And then it goes on to say, but the things revealed belong to you and to your children to do them. So when you read in the Bible some mystery, don't try to unscrew the inscrutable, as some people have said. Don't try to figure out what cannot be figured out, but do what God says and believe what he says. You do not know many things, but I do have good news for you. You do know something. Notice I don't say you don't know anything. I say you don't know much. All right? You don't know much. You think God's thoughts after him on your level by revelation, and you're made in God's image, and you can read his word, and you can see things in creation. I don't mean to denigrate science. There are many things that scientists have discovered 
Christian or otherwise, that are very helpful and very useful. I'm not saying scientists don't know anything. Good thing you all have a job, right, that makes a difference. You know some things to be able to make a living, but you don't know that much compared to God. What are some things that you do know? Well, I think we can see from this passage certain hints about things that you do know. The Lord provides, so cast your bread upon the water. So if God provides, we won't provide for ourselves necessarily, but God will provide for us. Whatever you do, Colossians 3 says, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. And listen to this one. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're not serving yourself. You're serving Christ. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you are to do all for the glory of God. And he will establish the work of your hands Even though you're not doing everything, you're doing some things. So in your youth, work hard, that's what he's saying. Get a job. Be useful. We have this truth that God provides, and so we can do certain things to earn a living or to provide bread for others or whatever it might be. Secondly, the Lord sends rain and wind. I've already told you about this one. So sow your seed and trust the Lord. We can't predict the weather, it seems to say. If you sow some seed, you might not get anything out of the ground. There's a great drought, by the way, out in California to this very day. And a lot of their crops are not happening. And they're having trouble. And the lakes out there, even behind the dams, are going down and down and down. They don't have that much water. They have to preserve water. So they can't water the ground and they can't get more food. And it's a problem. Sometimes these things happen. But does that mean you're never going to sow any seed? What if it rains tomorrow? You missed it. (laughs) So you're just supposed to sow the seed that you've got. And this is the same thing as going to work every day and doing the best thing that you can possibly do to serve the Lord. Luke chapter 12 talks about people who look at the weather and try to run their lives by it. He says, you say a cloud is rising in the west and you say a shower is coming. By the way, the west was where the Mediterranean Sea was. So if the water's coming from the west, the wind's coming from the west, it'll take water from the Mediterranean and water the desert even. (laughs) And therefore, God provided. But you can't tell when that's going to happen exactly, right? Although they tried in Jesus' day, and he says, when you have the south wind, you say there's going to be great heat. And of course, that's true. The south is the Negev. It's the great desert. And if the wind comes from the south, that's not rain. That's heat. And that's all you've got. So you either have rain or heat, and you try to figure out the weather. And Jesus says, ironically, well, you know how to interpret the weather signs, but you don't notice when the signs for the Messiah have arrived. You can't see the miracles. You think you know about the weather. You don't know much about the Messiah. That's messed up priorities right there. Well, we don't know a lot of things. Sometimes you don't know how to pray. Paul says, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Paul would say he is perplexed sometimes, but not in despair. That's a key point. Sometimes we don't know what to do or what to pray for, but we still pray. And the Lord intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Spirit himself prays for us as we cry out to God, Oh, Lord, I don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray. That's sometimes true. You don't have to know how to pray or what to pray for if you're trusting in God fundamentally. 
He will intercede for you, and Jesus even intercedes for us at the throne of grace. The Lord gives new life. We don't know what happens in the womb of a woman, but we do know the Lord gives life. Now, I think there's some validity to this fact. The fact that there is life at all means that God blessed the seed of the woman out of Genesis 3.15. God did not cut off all of humanity when Adam and Eve fell into sin. In fact, God promised there would be the seed of the woman. First, Cain, then Abel, then Seth. But eventually would come Jesus, the Messiah. After a long, long time, finally, he came. The Holy Spirit would come upon Mary in a unique way. The Holy Spirit comes in a marvelous way normally to cause conception and birth to happen. But what about Jesus? No earthly father. The Holy Spirit was the one who conceived him. Behold, you shall conceive in the womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, that's a mystery. That's a big mystery. And only God could make it happen so that we could be saved. Which means the last mystery that we don't understand is this. God gives salvation. So look to him for salvation and everything else. It's the basic truth of the universe, the most basic truth of the universe, that God is, is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Children, you can know it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Who made you God? What else did God make? All things. Why should you glorify God? Because he loves me and made me and takes care of me. These are the kind of things we learn as our children, right? As children, we learn these things. They're basic, they're simple, and you know more than the greatest unbelieving philosopher ever lived. If you just, as a child, know these simple truths. There are many things you do not know now, and that's okay, because you know enough to be faithful, to be hopeful, to trust in the Lord, to do your job, and let God take care of the rest of it. We would love to know the future, but God deliberately does not tell us much about the future. I know this wonderful hymn that we're going to sing in a moment that is, I think it's so fitting because it talks about the things that we don't know. But then it goes on in the chorus to say, but I know whom I have believed it. I don't know election or how it happens. I don't know how God changes hearts or gives saving faith or how the spirit moves or what may happen to me or when the Lord may come. But who cares? I know whom I have believed it. And that's enough. Shall we pray? Lord, teach us these simple truths that even a child can understand. We should be content with not knowing much, but knowing you in Jesus' name.